Uh, keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at Matthew 13, verse 31 and 32. It's a parable of the mustard seed. I'll read that for us again. Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Amen. Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. How many of you have ever actually touched a mustard seed. You had like mustard seeds in your hand. Anybody? All right. All right. So you guys know how small they really are. Are they? How small are they? Would, would you guys say in your opinion? Really small. All right. <laughs> Actually, uh, mustard seeds are among the smallest of seeds. It's not the smallest seed ever. I think the orchid plant has like really small seeds. But among the seeds that were planted... Back in that day, among the variety that a man would take and sow into his field, the mustard seed was the smallest. And they're about a millimeter in diameter. And they're just tiny little things, these mustard seeds. They they just don't look very impressive. You would think from that seed, you'll probably get just a small little sprout or something. But when these mustard seeds are nurtured and they grow, it can get as big as... 3.7 3.7 meters, or for us Americans, 12 feet, all right? And the same seeds that birds come and just easily eat up eventually grow into trees in which the birds make their home. And Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out small. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And many of us, we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. And when we pray this, we're often implying, Lord, may your kingdom come and may it come now. And when it doesn't come now, we kind of tire of praying this prayer because we're not patient enough to really see through through it. But oftentimes we're, we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come and may it Come now, but if you really want the kingdom of God to come, it's going to require some patience. If you really want the kingdom of God to come, you really need to learn how to search carefully. Because just like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God, it starts out very small and it will appear inconspicuous. You know, our church, New Philadelphia, we're small. I mean, compared to um, some other churches in the city like Sarang, OEM, uh, Yoida for Gospel, or Jubilee, you know, we're a small church. Amen? We're small. It's like a small, nice family feeling here. I like it. I like it. Uh, the Itaewon Church plant is even smaller. It's small, right? And we're small. But that's okay, because we are right where God wants us to be. 
Because the kingdom of God, when it starts, it starts out small. It's just the way God does things. Zechariah 4.10 says, Who has despised the day of small things? Brothers and sisters, although other people may diss us for being a small church or despise us for being a small ministry with a big vision, do not despise the day of small beginnings. These small things, you know, because we are right where God wants us to be. Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard. It starts small. You know, but our Pastor Dell, who some of the L.A. kids here, they know. Pastor Dell prophesied for us back in October 4, 2009. He said, there's a day coming when you look back and you remember the beginnings of a movement. See, Dell was maybe, I don't know, eight years into the future. And he was prophesying back to our present day on October 4th. And he was saying, we're come to a day. Where we're going to look back and we're going to remember the beginnings of a movement. And when I heard that, that fired me up. You know, a couple of weeks ago on June 18th, our Friday fire prayer meeting, we hit 100 people for the first time ever. Now, don't get too excited. Our average is still about 54 people right now. All right. Um, and, you know, we know that Friday night, some people with Hagwon jobs can't really make it out. Um, but that's the only prayer meeting that we are able to really hold in midweek. Um, but hitting 100 was a landmark for us, you know. But let me tell you right now, our prayer movement wasn't always so anointed and exciting. Back four years ago, when we started the Friday Fire prayer movement... There were about 8 to 10 people each week. I remember. It was just me and my cousin Brian. And a few members of the prayer team. And some of the sisters, they were really hungry. And even though we are now averaging about 50 plus, I still see our prayer movement as being in the day of small beginnings. We're still in the day of small things. You see, the prayer movement that inspired our prayer movement was from Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Let me tell you, when I was living in New York City and going out down to Brooklyn on Tuesday nights for their prayer meetings on Tuesday night, all right, their prayer meetings had over 2,000 people gathering from all over the city of all different ethnicities, crying out. You think we cry out? You should go to Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, people cry out. They cry out for, uh, for all different kinds of prayer requests and petitions. And... One day, Friday Fire will have 2,000 plus people coming out each week. And we're going to remember the good old days when Friday Fire used to just be 100. Everybody took off their shoes and it was stinky in the room because everybody's feet stank. And it was just John Newfield on the guitar or or Brian on the guitar and and a couple of people leading prayer. We're going to look back and remember the days of a small, the small days when we began. You see, the kingdom starts out small. When God chose the first king of Israel, he picked someone who was socially small. You see, when Saul was chosen as king, you know what he said? He said, am I not a Benjamite? Benjaminite. Benjamite. Benjaminite, which was considered at that time the least of the tribes of Israel. 
And he said, is not my clan, which is of the tribe of Benjamin, are we not the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? So the first king of Israel started out small. Unfortunately, although he started out small, his head got a little bit too big, too quick. And he ended up starting doing things his way and disobeying the word of the Lord. So when Saul got rejected as king, God looked for a new king who had even smaller beginnings. He was just a little shepherd boy. That when Samuel the prophet came to the family of Jesse, Jesse didn't even bother to bring David in from the field. He brought all his other sons. It was like, hey, I bet this is the guy. No, I bet this is the guy. I bet this is the guy. And then Samuel's like, oh, do you have no more sons? He's like, actually, there's one more guy. He's our youngest. He's a ruddy little fellow. He's out there playing with the sheep all day. I don't, you don't want to see him. Okay. But God chose David to be the next king of Israel. Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out small. Now, why does God start out small? I believe that God starts out small when he does big kingdom things. He starts out small in order to build the character and humility required to stand faithful and obedient when we are entrusted with success, increase, and promotion. You see, when you hit the day of promotion, it's too late to learn about character. You got to learn it in the day of small beginnings, in the day of small things. If it is not forged in that place, when you in, promotion can ruin you. It can destroy you and it has destroyed a lot of people. People who get fame and success too quickly. It ends up destroying them. And I believe God also starts out uh, in this way to build up character and humility in his people for the big assignments that he does want to entrust to them. Uh, I also believe that God starts out Small, because testimonies of dramatic growth, you know, from the slums to the palace, you know, these kinds of dramatic growth testimonies, it tends to reflect God's glory the most. It tends to make people say, when they hear that story, they go, man, that's definitely God. God give God all the glory for that. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, brothers and sisters. It starts out small. So perhaps you're sitting there today thinking, what can I do for the kingdom of God? What can I do to fulfill the purposes of God? And I'm here to tell you, you might feel small right now. But that's exactly where God wants you to be. He wants to put the kingdom in you. And you might start out small. But hallelujah, in that day of small things, you will learn the humility and the character required for the days of when you do experience increase in promotion. Number two, the kingdom of God is not only small. Look at Matthew thirteen thirty one. Read that again. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. When you sow a seed into the ground, you often dig up some dirt. You put the seed in. And then you put some more dirt on top of it to cover it up. And just like a mustard seed that you take and you sow, the kingdom of heaven is hidden. You know, the leaders God has chosen in the Bible 
are often, they were often hidden until their appointed time. God took an amazing call to become the prime minister of Egypt. And then he hid it into Joseph and communicated it and hinted at it in the form of dreams when he was a young man. God took an amazing call to deliver the Israelites from huge armies of Midianites by hiding the call of a warrior into the heart of a wimp named Gideon. A guy who nobody suspected would rise up and end up leading the armies of Israel. But you see, God put that in him in seed form and he was hidden until his appointed time. God took the kingship of Israel, as I talked about, and he hid it into David's heart when he was only a child. You see, David, Samuel, and God knew who the next king of Israel would be. Nobody else did. Nobody else did. Why? Because God likes to take the kingdom and he likes to hide it. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's hidden. It's just the way God does things. And he he in his wisdom and his sovereign and omniscient wisdom, he does this with purposes that he reserves for himself. So when God starts a kingdom work, he not only starts out small, but he likes to keep it hidden. Now, why does God keep things hidden? I think one reason that he likes to keep the kingdom hidden is because it's his strategy to outmaneuver Satan. Amen? Amen. If God was just like, you know, he had a Twitter and he's just announcing exactly what he's about to do. Well, easy for Satan to go ahead and go and divert all the, all this, all the plans of God. God likes to hide things because he, he, he likes to outmaneuver. It's like football. It's like the Philadelphia Eagles, man. The Philadelphia Eagles are known for their defense. Their defense is known for having the most exotic package of blitz uh, plays in all of the NFL. All right? and, and if you don't know about football, in a blitz, uh, what ends up happening is you send more men than, than normal to rush the quarterback. Right? And... Um, and so oftentimes the quarterback has just enough people at his line to kind of deal with the four or three linemen that are rushing him. But when you start sending extra guys, then the quarterback has to kind of adjust because he has less time to maybe run his play. Maybe his play requires four or five seconds. If a guy blitzes, now his play, he only has about three seconds. He's got to go uh, sh- more shallow passes or maybe hand it off. But anyway, the way a blitz is successful is when it's hidden. You see, when the quarterback, he's like trying to read, and, he, and, all, and all the linebackers are like, yeah, five, two, four, four, four. They, they go like this, and then they go like that. And the quarterback's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Let me switch down the play. Yo, yo, D-Sharp, go long, go long. Hold on, hold on, yo, hold on, hold on, hike, hike. Okay, that's football for you. Everything's all hidden. Even for the offense, they can hide things. It's called a play-action pass, Right? They be coming out, it looks like a run, he looks like he's handing it off, and he fakes it out, and then bloop, the long bomb, Deshaun Jackson gets the touchdown, hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in football, the plays are more effective when they are hidden, and in this way, God's plays are often hidden. His MVPs are often hidden. I also believe God hides his leaders. He likes to keep the kingdom hidden in his leaders. 
He hides them so he can train them. Because you see, when you get all this recognition and fame and people start calling you by all these positional names, it starts to get to our head and starts to kind of hinder and slow down the growth process. So if we're God to really train us, he'll often like train us while we're hidden. And as I reflect about my own story of becoming the lead pastor here, I've only been lead pastor here about two years, y'all. Not very long. But as I reflect back to my story, I realize that my story is a story of being hidden and being trained for this position over many, 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 many years. Although I didn't go to seminary and I am not ordained. If you're a newcomer, uh, welcome to New Philadelphia. Uh, If I look back, although I didn't get no seminary training, I've received wonderful training in so many ways that God used in a diversity of settings to prepare me for this call. You see, as a child, God put the kingdom of God in me in seed form. And although people weren't aware that I would become a pastor one day, God kept me hidden and he started training me up. When I was in seventh, eighth grade, I went to these retreats where this praise band named Alpha Omega, they were filled with the spirit of God at that time. They were experiencing a Holy Spirit renewal without even knowing it. They came, led worship. I was crying my eyes out. I was like, wow, God is powerful. God is real. And God was training me up through those retreat experiences. When I was in youth group as a high school student, my pastor appointed me as the youth group president. I was just, I kind of maybe saw myself as a punkish kind of kid. And uh, I didn't really identify with the position. But God was like, I want you to be faithful with it. I want you to learn about leadership. And although my other Philly friends didn't respect me for being the youth group president, they were like, man, who do you think you are? Are you the president? You think we're supposed to listen to you? They didn't really give me much respect as a leader in the church. But I did influence them somehow. And I realized later on, leadership is influence. It's not about positions and titles. You can have positions and titles. If you don't have influence, you don't even have leadership. And God was just training me up. I was in charge of fellowship and games and retreats. I would serve on different praise teams growing up. And then when I got to college, I met my mentor, Brother Michael. And God anointed me through Brother Michael. And he started dropping clues about my future calling. So, John, let me, let me get that video get, get queued up. All right, right now I'm going to share with you a segment from my baptism video, okay, in which my mentor, he baptizes me in water, and then he brings me out and he starts prophesying over me. All right, this is uh, 2000. I, I was a lot more buff back then. That's me, though. That's me. Don't be mistaken. That is me.
a bold discerner of spirits of men. The Spirit says in prophetic word that the church of Jesus Christ will ask of you of service to serve in ministry because you are a man of God and also called to be a leader, a worship leader in the church of Jesus Christ. You will meet your wife in the mission field, the Spirit of the living God says, and you will rejoice in the God who anoints you and sends you by His Spirit. Many will come to you. You will be a sought-out man. The prophetic word goes forth and said, You will be a sought-out man. That people, that the body of believers, and that the young generation, you will affect the young generation. They will seek you out for counsel. And Lord, I release the gift of encouragement in this young man right now in the name. See how he has been encouraging his brother and has been standing up for the truth, Father. Even if it costs him, Lord. Father, honor him, Lord. In the powerful name of Jesus of Nazareth, Father. In the mighty holy name of Jesus. Alright. That was ten years ago. And praise the Lord, because I was really into media, so I made sure my friend videotaped it. Um... At that time, Brother Michael, he prophesied a bunch of stuff. Everything went over my head. Because I don't really remember what he had said. If it wasn't for the video, I would not have remembered a lot of things he said. Everything went over my head except the wife part. (laughs) I remember I kept talking about that prophecy over and over again. But everything else, I forgot. And uh, even though my mind couldn't work out the details of what was being prophesied, my spirit received it and came in agreement with it. And you see, God planned it. He put the kingdom in me in seed form. He was prophesying what he was about to do in my life, but he put it in me in seed form. He kept it hidden, so hidden, he, he hid it for me. And as time passed, this mustard seed that was inside me just began to grow. It started to come forth and started to continue to produce fruit. I remember I would, um, at a period of time, uh, in college, where I would listen to sermons, I would listen to people preach, and I would just be so restless. I would be taking all these notes, but a lot of times, the preachers that I would listen to, they weren't very good. So I would be taking notes about how I would not do things, and how I would improve the same message if I were to preach it. And I remember, I couldn't get away from it, so I would always be taking notes about preaching. And at that time, that was when there was a, a, uh, a surge of black stand-up comedians that were popular at that time. And, and uh, you know, I'm not very religious. So, you know, I used to go to stand-up clubs and stuff. I know it's kind of raunchy and stuff. I don't encourage it, all right? But in New York City, you know, there's a culture of going to stand-up, stand-up clubs, comedy clubs. And uh, I would go to these comedy clubs. And I was really into these stand-up comedians like Chris Rock, like Steve Harvey, like Jamie Foxx. And I would watch these guys, and I would watch their videos over and over and over and over again. I would filter out the curse words, all right? But I would watch these videos over and over again. And for some reason, I was so obsessed with it. And I was learning about communication, public communication, without really even knowing that I was learning about it. And what I didn't know was what God was doing in me at that moment in that season was, He was training me to be a preacher later on. But He was doing it in a hidden way. It was all there. 
in seed form. I remember uh, as a college student, although I was being mentored by a charismatic pastor, I was serving in a very denominational ministry called Campus Crusade. And Campus Crusade is a great, awesome ministry that I continue to support and love. Uh, Campus Crusade is, uh, in, in order for them to stay interdenominational, uh, they are more hush-hush about the charismatic side of things. And they just try to leave that up to the local church. And so in Campus Crusade, I served on, uh, I would serve on missions teams. I served on five mission trips, and then three more I led. Uh, eight total mission trips from Campus Crusade. I, I serve as a team leader for the media team. I, I, I serve as a per team leader at NYU. Um, I did a lot of evangelism out on the campus, out on the streets. Uh, toward the end of my uh, time in New York, I became the missions director, and I helped organize 120 college students. Each of them had to raise between three and four thousand dollars for them to go, and all 120 of them went and came back safely. And had wonderful six-week trips. I remember uh, I was part of the conference team for Vision Conference, which is an annual conference that Korea Campus Crusade in New York holds every single year. I was on the conference team planning it out. And in, in 2007, I was part of a much bigger conference here in Korea. It was a historic Campus Crusade conference called CM 2007. Students from all over the world for the first time gathered together from all the campus, ministry, campus crusade ministries in the world. And we had a conference in Busan. And I was on the conference team for that for two years, I served on that team. And so, here I am, destined to serve you guys here as the lead pastor. But as I'm doing conference team work, media team leader, prayer team leader, leading a team to Kazakhstan, leading a team to China. I'm doing all this other type of work. I didn't know what it was all for. But you see, it was all in me in seed form. No one saw me and was like, it's so obvious that you're going to be a lead pastor of a, of a spirit-filled church, a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural spirit-filled church in Korea. Like, nobody ever said that. Right? Because it was hidden. Nobody knew that that was what I was going to get into. I thought that I was actually, for many years, up until I became the lead pastor, I just thought I was going to be a missionary. And uh, I was okay with that. Because I have a mission's heart. I still do. But I thought my calling was just to be a missionary because I was still thinking very inside the box. And inside the box, full-time ministry only looked like this. You're either a pastor or you are, uh, if you're like Billy Graham, which is the exception, you become an evangelist or you become a missionary. All right? If you're not fit into these three modes, you can't be in full-time ministry. Oh, oh, wait, wait, Campus Crusade staff, which is a missionary. It's a form of missionary. So I saw myself as a missionary. You see that? I was very in the box. And I just thought I would be a missionary. And, um, and what I didn't know was, while I was at Campus Crusade, God kept me hidden with a purpose. Because he was training me up to go on and pastor this church. He was training me up to go on and pastor a movement. Even when I arrived in Korea in 2005, I was hidden. I was just some, some guy that everyone... Liked. Yeah. <laughs> people, people did like me, all right? People did like me. They, they wanted to hang out with me, all right? And uh, I, you know, I was just an ordinary guy. Nobody knew that I had a preaching gift. Nobody knew that I would move in signs and wonders. Nobody knew that I would rise into apostolic leadership. Nobody knew uh, because God 
made sure that nobody knew. He was keeping me hidden. And that's good because keeping me hidden kept me humble as well. And in December of 2007, after 14 years of serving in ministry in various forms from youth ministry all the way to college ministry, after 14 years of this, God said, it is time to reveal Christian, to reveal to Christian what I have called him and been preparing for him all this time. And then the church here, the KM here at Sungdo, they approached me and asked me, would you be willing to step up as the lead pastor of the English ministry here at Cherisongdo Church? And uh, even right now, I feel that although I am the lead pastor, various aspects of the kingdom is still hidden inside of me. There's still a lot of work that's yet to come out. What you see right now is not what you're going to get. There's so much more hidden inside of me. There's so much, like way more. And the kingdom of God is hidden like a mustard seed. And how do I know there's more? Kirk Bennett, Ronnie Henderson from IHOP, they prophesied there's more. <laughs> Stephen Hansen and Kimberly Condor in another trip, they're another group from IHOP, they also prophesied there will be more. My friends Han- Hannah, Kendra, Jazz, they prophesy on and on and on over and over again there will be more. Be thankful and celebrate what you got, but there's so much more to come. And so I got, I got a lot of prophecies that I've, I've, I'm hiding from you guys, you know, because I don't think it's time to release some of these things. But I, I'm keeping them inside. But I, I feel that tension. There's so much more. I mean, I'm, I'm good with this. This is great right here. But y'all, this ain't it. This ain't it. We, there's so much more. And depending on where you are in your call, perhaps this is the way you feel. You feel like there's all these dreams and purposes inside of you, but they are hidden. You try to share with your family. You feel like there's so much more to come, and then you share with your family, but they can't seem to recognize it. Prophet has no honor in his hometown. You try to share with your friends, they think you're crazy. And there's all these dreams and purposes, but you feel so very alone. And because the dreams and purposes of God's kingdom are hidden inside of you, sometimes you doubt whether they are real or not. Sometimes you ask God, did I mishear you, Lord? Maybe I misheard what you said. Maybe the prophet that prophesied was off on that day. But I'm, telling, I'm here to say that you aren't mistaken. You did not hear wrong. This is just the way the kingdom works. The kingdom is hidden. And it's hidden with a purpose. What you're experiencing is simply the kingdom of God. And you know, in, in a, earlier in another parable, Jesus has talked about seeds. And he talked about how birds, they come. And they snatch up the seeds. They eat up the seeds. And like birds that can eat up seeds, when the kingdom of God is in you, Satan will often attack you. Through birds that he sends. These birds can look like negative voices, haters, slanderers, critical spirits, critical voices. And while the kingdom of God is inside you in seed form, Satan tries to eat up that seed before it grows.
But I'm telling you right now, as you reject the attacks of Satan, eventually your seed's going to grow. And when it does, haters will be coming to your church to worship. They're going to be buying up your CDs. They're going to be asking you to sign the book that you authored. They're going to be asking you for favors. Because you see, the nature of the mustard seed is once it grows, everybody gets to enjoy it. See, there's going to be blessings that you bring to this earth. And all those haters, they're going to get to enjoy it later on too. So don't worry about the birds. You know, those, those birds, they're going to eventually just nest within your branches. Don't pay attention to them. That's, that's just Satan trying to knock you out while you're, while, while you're still in seed form. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's hidden. And um, I'm going to go into the next point. Number three. Look at verse 32. Although the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Brothers and sisters, like a mustard seed, the kingdom starts out small, but let me tell you something right now, it does not remain small. Turn to your neighbor, tell him that. The kingdom of God does not remain small. You know, it might start out in seed form, but it ain't going to stay in seed form. You see, because the kingdom, that's, the, that's what the kingdom's like. The kingdom is always expanding. It's always growing. The kingdom is always advancing. Jesus said the kingdom of God has been advancing. Forceful men have been laying hold of it. The kingdom of God is constantly expanding, moving forward, possessing new territory. And so like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God starts out small. It starts out hidden, but it does not remain small. The key here, look, look here in, in the verse. The key is the words, when it has grown. Somebody say that. When it has grown. When it has grown. You know, you're healing anointing. You pray for a hundred people and you saw maybe two people get healed this past year. Your healing anointing, which is as small as a mustard seed right now. I'm telling you right now, when it has grown, there will be multitudes of people getting out of wheelchairs because of the healing ministry that God placed upon your life. Right now, your understanding of scripture is very tiny. But as you continue to study the scriptures, when it has grown, you will go on to write books. You will be invited to teach and preach at conferences. It won't remain small. Brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to tell you is don't get so preoccupied by how small you are. Get preoccupied with how big you're going to become. Can I get amen? Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out small, but as long as it grows, it does not remain small. As long as it grows. You know, right now, your ability to try to end human trafficking in Asia is small right now. But when it has grown, your ministry and your work will provide a refuge for a multitude of children and women. 
Come on, somebody. Most people never, never get to see that day. You know why? Because they're so preoccupied by how small they are. You know, uh, our church, we have a missions network called MPWM. That's how we're able to go to all these various countries over Southeast Asia to do missions work. We're going in a couple of weeks. We're sending two teams to Indonesia and one team to China. This past February, we sent the team to Indonesia, Indonesia uh, India and another team to Philippines. And the reason why we're able to do all this is because, I don't, I don't know how many, was it 14 years ago? I don't know when it started, right? Let's say 10, 14 years ago, between 10 and 14 years ago, Jason Church sponsored a scholarship for a, uh, was it for Myanmar, right? It was a Myanmar seminary student studying in the Philippines and a seminary there in the Philippines. And Jerry Sungdo sponsored a scholarship for him. And then when he graduated, he was like, thank you for sponsoring my scholarship. I actually want to go back to my country and plant churches. Will you be willing to partner with me and continue to partner with me just as you've already been doing through the scholarship? So Jerry Sungdo said, okay, all right. We'll share your testimony and then we'll try to raise some money and see if we can help you out. And then they started helping out this pastor. And what ended up happening was this idea was born. It was just in seed form with one guy from Myanmar. And all of a sudden, it just started to spread like wildfire. It went from one country to the... And then it went from Myanmar and the Philippines seminary students. were like, what, why not, what about the Philippines indigenous masters? All right, Philippines indigenous masters. What about, you know, Indonesia? Okay, Indonesia, all right. What about India? All right, and all of a sudden, it grew into a huge network. Where there's a network of Korean churches here. I think there's about 10 big Korean churches here that get together and they raise up money for indigenous pastors in 17 or 16 different countries here in the Asia region. And we planted, I don't know what the figures are. I don't think anyone knows what the figures are. But it's close to the thousands of churches all over these countries. And you know what? We get to go to these churches and these church plants. And we go and bring the fire guy. We pray for people and we encourage the pastors. And they're just so thankful. And, you know, these churches, they're not, some of these churches aren't that big. Because it's like high up in the mountain. You know, you probably, without the infrastructure and all that, all the technology, and high up in the mountains of the Philippines, you're going to probably just have a church that's maybe about 40 or 50. But you know what? Maybe most of Christianity may not ever look an eye to that small mountain bush church. But God does. And he got, God sends us. But you see, MPWM, it started out small, but it didn't remain small because it was a kingdom work. Let me talk about my old ministry, Campus Crusade. Campus Crusade was founded in 1951 by Dr. Bill Bright at UCLA. One year later, they accepted their first six staff members. And then a few years after that, they, be, they went international because... Reverend Jungong Kim in Korea established Campus Crusade in Korea. So the ministry became international overnight. And then by the end of the 50s, Campus Crusade was active on five, I mean, 40 U.S. college campuses. By the end, uh, uh, and then by six, 1962, CCC is only within 11 years of starting their ministry. They purchased Arrowhead Springs in San Bernardino. How do you say that, California? Bernardino. 
Sambam. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. That, that city, it was a resort complex. Multi-million dollar resort complex. And through a donation, they took over that entire facility. By the end of the 60s, CCC was not only on U.S. college campuses, but they were in 25 countries. By the end of the 80s, CCC was in 93 countries. Today, Campus Crusade has 25,000 full-time staff and missionaries. And they are in 190 countries of the world. And for the various ways you take statistics, I believe Campus Crusade is in the most countries. It's the Christian organization that is in the most countries of the world. 190. They have ministries to college students, high school students, government officials. They have a ministry to the UN uh, ambassadors, uh, military athletes. They, you know, uh, Campus Crusade staff, they lead prayer meetings for the New York Jets. Um, families, humanitarian needs. Campus Crusade started out small, but let me tell you something. It did not remain small. Let me tell you about YWAM. YWAM was founded in 1960 by Lauren Cunningham. In the late, ni- in late 1960, YWAM went out on their first project. And it was a vocational mission trip to Liberia with two men to build a road through the jungle to a leper colony. That was their first project. Three years after YWAM began, they started sending teams to the West Indies, Samoa, Hawaii, Mexico, and Central America. Three years after that, there were 10 full-time YWAM staff, including the Cunninghams. And then there were hundreds of summer short-term volunteers that started to come forth. And then that year, they began a ministry in New Zealand and in Tonga. And today, YWAM has 16,000 full-time staff in over 150 countries of the world. On top of this, they train 25,000-plus short-term missionaries, uh, missions volunteers, every single year. All right, this is all from Wikipedia. If, if there's a... Wikipedia has not been updated. This is not accurate. All right. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It started out small for these ministries. They, had, they look back and they had the day of small beginnings. But let me tell you something. It didn't remain small. Let me tell you one more, one more church that might offend some of the religious folks in here. Let me talk about Joel Olstein's church, Lakewood. Because whether you like it or not, it is the largest church in America. And it is having a huge impact all over the nation. All right, Lakewood. Let me tell you about the history of Lakewood. Lakewood was founded by John Osteen and his wife Dottie in 1959. Inside of an abandoned feed store in a predominantly black neighborhood of Northeast Houston. John Osteen was a Southern Baptist... But then he experienced the baptism of the Spirit. And then he ended up withdrawing from his Baptist fellowship and he started Lakewood. 20 years after he started Lakewood, attendance was over 5,000 people. In 1999, Joel Osteen took over for his father when his father passed away. Under Joel's leadership, Lakewood has grown Fivefold, and actually is, is even more than that now. Um, in 2005, 
Lakewood Church relocated from its old building in Northeast Houston into its new home, a 16,800-seat facility formerly known as the Compact Center, where the Houston Rockets used to play. The church was required to pay $11.8 million in rent in advance for the first 30 years of the lease. But somehow they were able to come up with the money. And let me tell you some good news. On March of this past year, the Houston City Council voted 13 to 2 to sell the property to Lakewood for $7.5 million. So now they own it. Lakewood is now the largest church in the United States. They average more than 43,500 people per week. They have four English services and one in Espanol. <laughs> the wonderful pastor named Marcus Witt. You see, brothers and sisters, like a mustard seed, the kingdom starts out small, but it does not remain small. This is because just like a mustard seed's nature is to grow into a really, really big mustard tree, the Spirit of God is resident in you, and your nature has been changed to the nature of the Spirit of God. And when that nature is inside of you, it is in your nature to grow really, really big and do things for God that are really, really big. If you will let the kingdom of God grow inside you, it will not, it cannot remain small. Brothers and sisters, it is in our DNA to transform cities. Amen. It's our DNA to transform cultures and shift the history of entire nations. Amen. The word of God says, ask of me and I will give the nations to you as your inheritance. It's there in the Bible, but very few people are able to claim it. Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You know, I'm going to just talk about how the kingdom of God is truly like a mustard seed. In Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between when after Adam and Eve fell. God talked to the woman, Eve, and God said to Eve, I will put enmity between you, the serpent. I'm sorry. When God was talking to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And a lot of people, it's like a mysterious, you know, word there. Nobody ever picks that up. Um, in Genesis 22, later on. God says to Abraham, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this. He just tried to sacrifice his son Isaac, so God really was honoring him for this. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And, that, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What I want to... Why I'm pointing out these two passages is because in both passages, in the ESV and the NIV, a lot of times the translation translates the Hebrew word for seed as offspring. So if you read these verses again, God is saying, I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the serpent's seed and, between the, and, and the woman's seed. 
But you see, there's only one man in history that was born out of the seed of a woman. And that's Jesus Christ. There was no sperm required to birth Jesus. He is truly the only seed of the woman. And what God is prophesying in Genesis 3, at the beginning when man fell, God is already prophesying redemption. God is also, also giving clues about how God is going to redeem mankind. And he's saying, I'm going to bring forth a seed of a woman that's going to conquer the seed of Satan. Jesus shall bruise your head. Game over. When you bruise the head, you're done. You shall bruise his heel. Satan will bruise his heel. And Satan did. Satan took a hammer and he drove nails through the heels of Jesus' feet. But that was not the end of the story. You see, the, the kingdom of God is like a seed. You see, Jesus, if you really think about it, you see the seed uh, in Genesis 3 and Genesis 2, 22. Because God says, uh, I will surely bless you, Abraham, and by your offspring, by your seed, your seed will possess the gate of your enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so a lot of people just in the natural interpret this as meaning the natural offspring of Abraham. But the Bible tells us in Galatians 3.16, the promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to his seeds, plural, meaning many people. But he says to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. You see, the seed of the woman. The seed of Abraham. His name is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came to earth, he came to earth like a mustard seed. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But Jesus also had a very small and humble beginning. He was born in a manger. He grew up in a small town called Nazareth that everyone despised. For most of his 30 years of his life, he grew up, and during his adulthood, he worked as a carpenter. But you see, the kingdom of God, you see, Jesus is the seed of the kingdom of God. And he started out small, and then he was hidden as well. Nobody knew that he would, you know, even his brothers and sisters didn't really know what was going to happen to him. But after he was hidden, it came to a point of time for him to begin his public ministry. In fact, not only just his public ministry, but the very message of the cross was also hidden to his, even his own disciples. Even when Jesus kept talking about, they still didn't get it until after his resurrection. And the Holy Spirit brought that revelation to them. But you see, the seed of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, not only started out small, but he was humble. And he, he was hidden. But let me tell you something right now. Eventually, this seed 
did not remain small. You know, people estimate that right now we have billions of Christians on the earth today. Even if you do it conservatively, there are billions of Christians on the earth today. Some nations like Brazil, China, Indonesia, they're seeing an explosion of Christian conversions right now. But let me tell you something right now. We got billions of Christians, billions of people that follow Christ today. But 2,000 years ago, this entire movement started with just one man. A humble, inconspicuous carpenter from a small town called Nazareth. He taught and ministered for a small period of time, three years, to a small group of people, 12 12 apostles, one of them who had betrayed him. But from this carpenter, we now have billions of people in the Christian movement. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And what I'm trying to tell you is Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, the Bible says you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the Bible saying is these passages in Genesis... They're really talking about Christ. And they were fulfilled in Christ. But the fulfillment does not end there. Because what was fulfilled in Christ, now Christ is in you. It is being going to be fulfilled through you. So now the seed of Abraham is not just talking about Christ. The seed of Abraham is talking about you. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Started out in Christ. Real small. But because Christ is in you. He continues to do the work of the kingdom. Starting out small, exploding real big. He continues to do that, continually, continually to this day. And we're at an hour, we're going to see an unprecedented move of God on the earth. A move of God that's going to move with supernatural signs, powers, wonders, miracles. And the promises that were given to Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. In your offspring, in your seed, the nations, the families of the earth are going to be blessed. That's going to be fulfilled through us. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Does that mean they're all going to get converted? The Bible doesn't tell us that all of them are going to get converted. So I can't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Well, we hope a lot of them get converted. But we, we, can't, we can't think, you know, all of them are going to get converted. They're going to be dumb. There are going to be plenty of people that are not going to get converted. But we will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, whether they get converted or not. Just like birds, they come, they nest. The very verse that's trying to snatch you up when you are a seed. They're going to come and nest in your tree when you grow up. In the same way, we, the church, we represent the kingdom of God. And when that kingdom expands, we become a blessing to all nations. This is our destiny, brothers and sisters. And check this out. One last thing. We're not just any seeds. We're mustard seeds. I don't know if last time... You checked out the product, but mustard is hot. It's fiery. You know, some people have these personalities. They're like real chill. They're real soft-spoken, real quiet. I'll tell you right now, when the seed of the kingdom goes in you, it's not any seed. It's like a mustard seed. Whether you have a quiet personality or not, when you got that kingdom inside you, like a mustard seed, it's Fiery. Hallelujah. Anyway, that was 
little thing. I threw it, threw it at the end. <laughs> because Christ is in you, the kingdom of God is in you, brothers and sisters. So what, where, wherever you are in your calling, I just want to encourage you. All right? Keep growing. Keep growing. Because the kingdom of God is going to advance and, and expand through you. Let's pray. At this time, I'm going to ask people that received prayer earlier who stood up for prayer for skin disease. All right. Any of you guys notice 50% or better difference? All right. Why don't you guys start checking right now? Check your skin. Check it out. Do you see anyone see any difference? All right. If there's any difference, we want to celebrate that. All right. There's anybody? Raise your hand. All right. Okay. All right. Well, we don't trust just our natural observation. We trust the word of God. Amen? Amen. So let me just come in agreement with the word for, for the skin disease. Lord, I just come in agreement. The word of healing, God. For the, for the healing of all these various skin diseases, the eczema, the... Uh, the rashes, the pimples, I don't know, any, all the skin diseases in here, Lord. <laughs> Lord, I just, I just come in agreement with your word. Lord, by your stripes, we are healed. Healing is the children's bread. And we come in agreement with heaven right now. There is no skin disease in heaven. So, God, we refuse to allow these skin diseases just to go unchecked on our bodies. We continue to come in agreement with your word. Until our experience comes up to the level of your word. So, Father, heal skin disease all over this room. Lord, heal people's bodies. Cleanse skin disease, God. Lord, you cleanse all kinds of lepers when you are on the earth. That's skin disease, God, of all kinds. Lord, just cleanse all skin disease in this room. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that each person in here, Lord... That the seed of the kingdom, that God, we know that Satan, even in the Bible, he always attacks in seed form that which he cannot defeat in adult form. And even for Moses, he tried to take out the deliverer when he was only a child, when he was only a baby. Even your own son, Satan tried to kill in seed form before he had grown up. And even today, Lord, with the epidemic of abortions in the world, we see that Satan is still like the birds of the air, snatching up and eating up, killing seeds before they get to grow up. And some of us even in here, Lord, when we were very, very young, when we were in seed form, when we were very, very, very young, Satan snatched things away from us. Maybe he didn't take away our life, but he tried to destroy us, hurt us, damage us, traumatize us. But Lord, wherever Satan has done his work, I pray that you will turn all of that around for the good of your people, Lord. That you will take that which Satan used to destroy and curse and you will turn it into a blessing, oh God, Lord. You will turn it into an advantage and leverage for the person that has received that attack. 
So Father, just bless your people, God. 